We discussed the latest in the Tua Tungavailoa situation, the Kansas City Chiefs' big win on Sunday Night Football over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers. If they're a gritted out, grinded out team, all that and more coming up next here on this episode of Locked On NFL. You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Monday. That means I'm here with you, Kevin Ostreicher, the host of Locked On Ravens. And thank you so much for tuning in today to Locked On NFL, making us your first listen of the day here. We're free and available on all platforms. It also includes over in video form on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less in their prize pick suggestion, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users are going to receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And we are back here again, a Sunday slate of action in the books for the NFL in week four. And we're now for most teams one month through the NFL season. We have the Monday night matchup tonight with the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. We have a ton to talk about today. We're going to talk about a couple of really exciting games from Sunday's action. But the big story, and this happened on Thursday night and actually dating back a little further than that, is the Tua Tungavailoa situation. And we're going to talk with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins about the latest Tua's health, anybody's to blame for that situation, who to blame in that situation, and more, because it's, it's really important to get the latest on that. And also we're going to be diving into the Kansas City Chiefs' big one over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, an offensive explosion. We'll talk about that with Ryan Tracy over at Locked On Chiefs and what that means for the somewhat overlooked, I'd say, Kansas City Chiefs in a way, based on what the rest of the AFC West did in the offseason. Then finally, we'll flip over to the NFC talk with Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers about if this Packers team is a gritted out, grinded out team after their second straight game like that. They do it against Tampa Bay in week three, this time against the New England Patriots in overtime in week four. So without any further ado, let's dive into our content here. We'll start off with Ryan Tracy of Locked On Chiefs talking about that Kansas City offensive explosion in week four. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs bounced back in a big way after their week three loss to the Indianapolis Colts with a huge 41-30 to win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Here to break it down with me is Ryan Trace, one of the hosts over at Locked on Chiefs. And I, I know, Ryan, a lot of people were asking, how is Kansas City going to bounce back from that loss against Indianapolis? Many people had them winning that game. Well, boy, did they bounce back against Tampa Bay. Yeah. I had them winning that game. This it, These last two weeks have reversed from what I, I was really looking towards and, and expecting, to tell you the truth. Uh, when, you, when you underestimate an opponent so bad in Indianapolis, you have to then come back against what should be, on paper, a better matchup. Like I think that tells you the fortitude that a team has, that you have to actually double down and get back to what you do in the basics and just let fundamental football take over. And when you're looking at 
this team. We know the talent they have on offense. Uh, the, the departure of Tyreek Hill, you know, a lot of people were questioning how are they going to respond to that. They bring in Juju Smith-Schuster. They have Marquez Valdez-Scantling there. But this Kansas City team, right, against one of the best defenses in the NFL in the San Bay Buccaneers, 417 total yards of offense. I mean, this was pure offensive dominance by Patrick Mahomes, who was always known for pulling the, the, the hat out or the rabbit out of the hat. Many of the occasions, you see the flip to Clyde Edwards and Larry in the end zone. You're just like, what right. is he doing here? This is incredible. What did you see from Passion Mahomes on Sunday night? I, I saw a million times where I have to calm myself down after screaming at the television, don't get hit, because he just doesn't. The selfless abandon that he throws himself around at has not gone away. That was not an aspect of the game with Tyreek Hill. Where he's placing the ball has changed, but the fact that he's placing the ball and that he's making all these off-platform throws that only he can make. And I'm, I'm sorry, folks. If you feel that there are other players that can make this kind of consistent throws week in, week out, you're just playing wrong because there isn't. There's guys that have it on a day or two, but everything that he did tonight really was a reflection of the fact that they got embarrassed last week. They got their butts kicked, and they had to come back and do it. And I don't think any play really resembles that more than the fact it wasn't a throw. It was when he got out and had to outscramble Devin White and get to that first down where he had to dive for to make sure that they moved the chains. And that's the new paradigm, right? You don't have the over-the-top, any play can go for 90 yards. It's a little bit more methodical. But you have to keep churning the chains, and that's what he made sure he did. And I know for the Chiefs, Ryan, you have a running back rotation there with Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarrett McKinnon. But Isaiah Pacheco is a player that I know is really exciting in Kansas City right now. Someone who I think could have a future there, a bright one, if that. How has the running back rotation looked to you so far? Because we have 19 carries for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but Pacheco coming in with 11, you know, that's that's substantial. Yeah, and this is the first time it was substantial, and I think we're all very excited about that. I, for one, as kind of like an old-school former coach, like I want a little bit more fundamentals. I want more run game to balance and give you more play play action options that actually work. I love that aspect of it, and it's been a lot on Clyde's shoulders the last couple of years. What Pacheco brings is a guy that's got a chip on his shoulder. He wasn't a high draft pick. He wasn't the first rounder that Clyde was, but he's been thrown into the mix. He's got some great explosiveness to his game. The, the change of direction is something that I actually think has been improved since he left Rutgers. Um, he's joining Mike Burton in the backfield, so there's a whole Scarlet package you'll see from time to time, uh, the Scarlet Knight package, both the backs in the backfield being from Rutgers, and I think that helps. There's a camaraderie that he's built really instantly, to tell you the truth, and he runs so hard. I think that actually showed up in Clyde's game tonight as well. I think the two of them together are both a little bit more forceful in terms of the way that they run. And I think a little more pushing each other to find the right gaps make those cutbacks in a timely fashion to keep this run game going. And the big plus is that Jeremy Ken is the fastest of them probably at this point. I mean, it might be debatable, but he's out there, right? He's also the oldest of them. So what it does is it gives you a third down back that you can now protect, and he doesn't have to play and take as many touches. That gives him longevity through the season, which he actually showed up really well in the postseason last year. That's what they always have an eye on in Kansas City is how do we make it not 17 games, but 20 games, and how do we have our offense intact? Exactly. And part of that is the wide receiver core. And we talked about, you know, the departure of Tyreek Hill and Ryan. You've talked about it extensively on your show, but you're looking at it now. You have Marquez Valdez-Scantling with three for 63. Juju smith is coming over from Pittsburgh in this game, five for 46. Sky Moore, the rookie, two for 31. I mean, you're adding in all these pieces. How did they look on Sunday night? 
you know, it, it's nice because you never know who's going to show up. Sky Moore's been slow to get into the ball game, right? There's a lot of pressure there from the Kansas City fan base to get him more involved. But in any Andy Reid offense, there's just a small sliver that they give you to begin with, and that expands over time, and that's what they're doing here. The key is that when you look at everybody, the offense flows to Travis Kelsey as it always has. That's not different. It's just that the over-the-top threat now is MVS, which is not as dynamic as Hill is, right? But now you have the underneath, you have the drags, you have the medium crossers that now you have Sky Moore on. In fact, Patrick missed a pass tonight trying to force it in where he could have hit Sky for a first down. And that just shows you that it's not just a two-prong attack. Now it's four. Now it's five pass catchers. They can always hurt you and move the ball. And I think that makes the Kansas City offense so dangerous. Not that it wasn't dangerous before, obviously, but it's a different dynamic that they have there now. And I think they are figuring it out and it is working as we saw on Sunday night, but Ryan, we're a month in the NFL season now with four games under the belt for Kansas city. The defense has been kind of mixing the matches and pieces. I mentioned the Tyree kill loss on offense, Tyron Matthew, one of those losses on the defensive side of the ball. So you're bringing in new pieces. You're kind of working guys in. Obviously you still have talent like Chris Jones on that front seven, but how has the defense looked to the first month of the year to you? You know, it's been touch and go at times, but one thing has been kind of true that, that, the back four, five, sometimes six, when they get into dime like they did tonight, is on the way up, and it's pretty consistent. In my opinion, the second best player on this defense now is Legereus Sneed. And if you guys don't know, for anyone a fan of another team that doesn't know Legereus Sneed's name by now, go look it up because you're going to see more and more of him. He's at a Pro Bowl level now. I think if he continues to ascend, he his pass rush is probably the best DB that I've seen in I don't know six, seven, eight seasons. I mean, Ed's been gone a while, right? But there's a lot more to that game. He could make a, an actual all-pro run if he continues to ascend this year. And, you know, there was so much talk, Ryan, this offseason about the AFC West and what Las Vegas did, what the Chargers did, what Denver did. And it felt like Kansas City, with the Tyreek Hill loss, with the Tyron Matthew loss, were kind of pushed to the wayside a little bit. And we're saying, hey, you know, let's look at all the shiny pieces in Denver and Las Vegas in Los Angeles. And, well, what about that Kansas City team? Well, they're still there. That, that's a thing. So now we're a month in. What does the AFC West landscape look like to you right now? The AFC West looks, honestly, a lot like it did the last three, four seasons. The Chiefs are dominant at this point. And it comes down to this. Everybody can have a three-star Michelin chef, right? That's great. That's what the Chiefs have. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, you got a couple of them, right? You can go out and buy excellent groceries, but if you don't have those chefs, you can't cook the greatest meal on earth, right? That's what they're finding in the rest of the West. The Chargers can't stay healthy. Russ hasn't been able to turn that team around in Denver. You don't know what's going on. The addition of a Devontae Adams thought was to be the savior of Las Vegas Raiders. That hasn't happened yet either. You have the pieces, you have the ingredients, but nobody's cooking that that end-all, be-all lifetime meal yet. And that that's what it is, where it's any given Sunday with this, and you can look at the box score, you can look at the teams on paper, but you got to get out there on the field. And the consistency that Kansas City's had over these past couple of years, you, you can't ignore that, especially when they brought back so many key pieces. And, Ryan, what's the next month look like for Kansas City? What's their schedule like? Who do they match up with, and what are the big games? Oh, there's only is there more than one game? The Buffalo Bills are squarely <laughs> on the radar, especially after the 13-second game last year. Now, I know the Bills have been struggling a little bit from a perspective of putting up points and that kind of thing. The Chiefs can't overlook the Raiders in the meantime, but that is clearly the marquee of the second quarter of the Chiefs season. I had them going three and one in each quarter, basically. Uh, I projected them at 13 wins for the season. I still think that that's a possibility. I had the Indian Tampa Bay games reversed, but this next one it is about beating the Bills. 
And I don't care what's going on. If it's Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes on the same field, there's going to be fireworks. It's about controlling that and making sure you're the guy that has either 13 seconds or 13 points more than the other guy at the end. And it's really fun, Ryan, to me to go over some unsung heroes for teams throughout the first couple weeks of the year. If, if you had to pick like one guy, maybe on offense, one guy on defense, who, who are a couple names you want to throw out as guys who will really help this team, but might not be getting the recognition you think they deserve. Unsung heroes are out there. I mean, there's a ton on this roster and it's, it's all guys fighting and scrapping, right? But the one guy who hasn't gotten the attention that I think does deserve to be, uh, and they showed it a little bit on the broadcast tonight. It is Andrew Wiley, a guy that is standing in for Lucas Niang. He is, for all intents and purposes, a backup that is starting again. He has started for this team in the past. A lot of questions about the play of Orlando Brown Jr. on the left side. But on the right side, Wiley's had some struggles, but he's locking it down enough to get by, to give some solid play at right tackle. Nobody talks about him. When you're playing next to Trey Smith and Joe Tooney and Creed Humphrey, it gets away from you a little bit. On the defensive side of the ball, I don't think you can overlook, and I know the linebacker is not the, the be-all position that it used to be. This isn't, you know, 1987. But Nick Bolton has come a long way. He's outperformed my draft stock on him, and I did a lot of film on him before he was drafted. He's manning the middle, and he's not in any way, shape, or form now the liability that we thought he would be in the nickel sets. He can be the single linebacker. It was him and Tom Brady face-to-face a lot tonight. He got it done. He got to the sidelines and made plays. He got things organized for that front that still needs some work, in all honesty. But he's captaining this defense, and I think that's going to pay off down the line. Big win for Kansas City on Sunday night, 41-31 to over Tampa Bay. For more on the Chiefs, go check out the Locked on Chiefs podcast. Ryan does great work. Over there, be sure to subscribe, follow them in audio form as well, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Ryan, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you. Yeah, Kansas City's had an impressive start to the season after obviously losing Tyree Kill and Tyron Matthew. They still do have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey and those pillars there, absolutely. But coming up next here on Locked On NFL, we'll be diving into the latest on the Tua Tungavailoa situation with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins. So don't go anywhere. We still have a ton to talk about here on Locked On NFL. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about prize picks and fantasy for me has been a part of my life for a super long time i've enjoyed it i've won leagues i've lost leagues and with prize picks there's a ton to like about it you can have so many current entries you can also win a ton of money which is a really nice bonus you pick two to five players and if they will go score more or less than their prize picks projection you can up to 10 times your money on any entry there's no competing against other people it's just you versus the projections that are available prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch and that includes the nfl you have the nba mlb nhl pga college football college basketball and so much more. Educated made in 60 seconds or less. It's really that easy. You have safe and fast withdrawals. They're currently operational in over 30 states in Canada as well. So don't know the PriceFix app. Or go to PriceFix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100 minutes of deposit match of $200 promo code locked on. So that means if you deposit $100, PriceFix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PriceFix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. We are back. Our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still here with you. Thank you so much for making us your first listen here on Locked On NFL. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, follow along in audio form as well. And also be sure to check out NFL key predictions 
on every Friday for Locked On NFL. Locked On's local experts give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games of the NFL weekend, including Sunday, Monday Night Football, plus betting advice from the field's leading experts bet online. Follow NFL Key Predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. But now we're going to be diving into a very important situation, the Tua Tungavailoa situation, the concussion situation, where obviously he suffers two very scary injuries in a matter of just a couple of days. We'll talk with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins about the latest coming up now. Well, with the slate of Sunday's action wrapped up, there is still a storyline from Thursday night to talk about, and that is the handling of the injury situation of Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. And here to talk with me about it is Kyle Krabs, the host over at Locked On Dolphins. Kyle, I know it's been a whirlwind of a couple of days for you, even dating back to Sunday against the Buffalo in that week three game. I mean, can you, what do you know about the situation? What can you tell us about the latest in updating this Tua situation? Well, I think the, the biggest takeaway from this is that in the joint investigation between the NFL and the NFLPA, they've already identified what they feel is necessary changes to the vocabulary in identifying head injuries and concussions and flagging players to returning from game. And based off what we understand, you know, there was a portion in the game against Buffalo where Tua Tungvalo attempted a quarterback sneak under center and got bent over backwards and appeared to grab his back in the midst of the pile. And then the hit that everybody saw in which he does hit his head uh, also flared that same back injury in that instance. And that was when they did their evaluation. They evaluated that it was not a neurological trigger that caused him to stumble. It was something else tied to the back. So the NFL and the NFLPA have already identified this to say if there's we're going to remove all the subjectivity from it, there's going to be no ambiguity moving forward. If you stumble, it's a trigger, period, and you will not come back into the game. So it seems as though at least based off of the information that we have right now and how swiftly the NFL and NFLPA have identified this as a key change that they felt was necessary to very quickly expedite and change in the concussion protocols that that probably contributed to some way into how he was diagnosed on Sunday and then proceeded to play again on Thursday. Although I will say the dolphins, they did do concussion checks throughout the course of the week to go what they felt was above and beyond. And he showed no signs of head injury in any of those checks on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. So uh, I think this speaks a lot to the complexity of head injuries in general. And I think, if anything, the fact that we've identified some language in the concussion protocols that can be changed for the better to remove the subjectivity of it, I think that's a good thing. Right. And obviously two very scary moments, both against Buffalo in week three and obviously Cincinnati in week four, where you see him stumble coming up after that hit against the Bills. And then you have in week four, him just getting slammed on his head. And then obviously everything that came after that, he ends up flying back with the team. And obviously there are a lot of questions about what happened, the handling of the situation, Kyle. And I know we're not doctors over here at Locked on mm -hmm. NFL, but based off of, again, how much or even how little you know about the situation, are, are you content with the explanations that have been given so far by all parties? Well, I'm, I'm going to reserve my right to find out exactly what the investigation finds as far as the specifics. And it sounds like that is going to be a very transparent uh, reveal and summarization of all of the events. I think it's very difficult, and I, I, to one degree, I do sympathize with head coach Mike McDaniel and him saying, if the paid medical professionals tell me this, how, why would I not believe otherwise, right? So 
Uh, I do think it is uh, pretty eyebrow raising that the uh, non-affiliated neurolo- neurologist that that was there and a part of that process for Tua Valoa from the NFLPA has been relieved of his duties. Uh, I think that indicates that there were some things that were not handled to protocol at the very least, and that's a shame. Um, and, and I think there's probably a lot of layers that were involved here that kind of created this perfect storm of an incident. And of course, the four-day turnaround for Thursday night football is really what makes the the head injury scary, assuming that he did indeed have uh, the head injuries that appeared that he had on Sunday and then again on Thursday. So um, if if it is found that there are egregious mistakes or mistakes that were made, then yes, the people culpable need to be held accountable for them. And thankfully, it doesn't sound like we're going to have to wait too long to find out the exact details that it sounds like within the next week or so that summary will be released for us all to kind of process exactly what happened. Right. And you mentioned some of the comments that Mike McDaniel has made over the course of these last couple of days following the game based off of those. What have you kind of seen and heard from him and what are your responses to those responses? Yeah, uh, he, he's pretty emotional talking about it. You could tell he's uh, as a player's coach, you know, there's. He said, you know, I'll never feel comfortable or want to see a player taken off the field in that kind of manner. And um, you know, based off the information that that he was given through the game day procedures, you know, he made decisions that he felt were best for the player and best for the team based on what he was given at the time. And um, I know if I put myself in those shoes, Coach McDaniel's the one I think I can sympathize with the most if something was misplayed because – He's not a neurologist. He's not the team doctor. He's the head coach who has the doctor coming to me to say, hey, he's good to go. You know, so I I don't envy that spot in the midst of all of this. And and I'm sure if it is found that there are missteps that were taken along the way, Coach McDaniel will probably carry some guilt of that. But I do know he has repeatedly said in their evaluation of Tua, both on Sunday and And in the days following leading up to the Thursday game, he presented no signs of a head injury whatsoever. So I think, is it possible this is just a really unfortunate coincidence? I guess. I think everybody can kind of look at it. And uh, there's certainly been a lot of people that have drawn their own conclusions based on how Tua Tungalo responded to the first hit on Sunday. And they have the right to do so. And like I have said, you know, thankfully we will get clarity in the process of this and, for Tua Tungvaloa's sake, he needs to take the time, however long that be, to make sure that he's 100% before he steps on a football field again. Yep, I 100% agree. And I know, Kyle, you look at the importance of Tua's situation, the, the health of Tua, and I think that's the most important thing when you, you break it all down. Can you give an update on just how he's doing and what you've heard from him over the past couple of days? Yeah, so he he released a statement uh, the day after the game, and so it's thanking everyone for their thoughts and wishes and, and says he's – feeling much better and is, is looking forward to undergoing the, the recovery process uh, so that he can uh, eventually get back on the field with his teammates. And we got a, a report over the weekend that he did have uh, a CT scan done over the weekend, uh, which came back normal with no uh, alarming signs or uh, anything that would be a red flag as far as a uh, more significant brain injury. Um, and, and from my understanding uh, the severe concussions would show something on a ski t- CT scan. So it sounds as though, you know, the some of the more doomsday or worst case scenarios here have been avoided and that Tua 
uh, can expect to have whatever timetable it will be, but, but can expect to make a full recovery from this. Uh, and the Dolphins just need to do their diligence to make sure he's not placed in a situation to experience more head trauma or uh, hits before that full recovery takes place. Right. Absolutely. And with this situation, Kyle, you now have Teddy Bridgewater stepping into Tua's role for however long that is, as you talked about. So with Tua on the sidelines, depending on if it is a week or however long it is, how confident are you that Teddy Bridgewater can be that guy for the Dolphins and lead them to where they want to go? Well, he, ironically enough, completed the longest air yards completion of the season on Thursday night when he came in in the second half with a 61 point just short of 62-yard error completion of Tyreek Hill, but that's not Teddy's game, right? So uh, I think the challenge for Miami is going to be getting the run game going, which they have not done in the first month of the season. Uh, I think you have to be a little bit more balanced offensively than what you can be with Tua Tonga-Valoa because Teddy doesn't have the same ball handling skills to really win and play fakes and uh, get outside the pocket like Tua does on designed rollouts, not that, that Tua really kills you on extended plays in general. But... Um, you, know, you, you certainly look at the schedule and you're thankful that you're through the gauntlet of New England, Baltimore, Buffalo, Cincinnati, uh, and you have the New York Jets, you have the Minnesota Vikings, you have the Pittsburgh Steelers as the next three. And uh, we've got a chance to see two of those three teams play against each other on Sunday with the Jets and Steelers with the Jets winning that contest. And uh, I think Teddy Bridgewater, you're paying him a decent amount of money. You can certainly hope if we see him hypothetically, if he plays that three-game stretch, you'd like to think you could find a win in there and, and put yourself in a position with a strong defense to maybe steal another one too. So uh, I think the Dolphins uh, should have some optimism as long as they get the run game going that they can keep their head above water for however long that they need to because the schedule's going to soften up for them a little bit here. Right, and obviously, you know, what we're hoping Tua makes a full recovery here is able to get back on the field as soon as it is possible and it is safe for him to get back onto the field. But in the meantime, it will be the Teddy Bridgewater Show until Tua is back out there. And for more on this situation and the Dolphins, be sure to check out the Locked On Dolphins podcast where Kyle will have all the latest information on the situation, breaking it all down there. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me here. Obviously, the number one thing here is Tua's health, so a speedy recovery to Tua. Hopefully, everything is okay with him, and he's able to get back onto the field, of course, when he is ready and when he is 100% healthy and able to. Coming up here, though, in our final segment of Lockdown NFL, we're going to be diving into the Green Bay Packers, a team that won a close game against Tom Brady and those Buccaneers last week, won a close one against Bailey Zappi and that New England team in Week 4, so be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to talk about here Unlocked on NFL, but first, let me tell you a bit about Built Bar. And if you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you're really missing out on one of life's greatest joys. And there's a new flavor in the delicious cookie dough. It's covered in chocolate, and Built has done it again because the cookie dough chunk puffs are here. They have a light and chewy texture. They're real cookie dough chunks, and of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. And cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. And like all Bill Bar's new cookie dough chunk puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. That means they're healthy and tasty. Chocolate-covered cookie dough with a light, fluffy texture it really is so good. And you're going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff, whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or you need to grab a quick bite. Build is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Dish the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built Bar. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15. And we are back here with our final segment of this Monday edition of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostriker still here talking football. 
with you. Thank you so much for making us your first listen here on Locked On NFL. Subscribe on YouTube, follow on audio form, the whole nine yards. It helps out a ton. And be sure to make your second listen of the day. The Peacock and Williamson NFL show, Brian Peacock and former NFL scout, Matt Williamson, give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. Let's talk about this Green Bay Packers team. They have that number 12 over there and Aaron Rodgers. They beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Last week, they then beat the New England Patriots this week, but two very close, hard-fought wins. And is this the new Green Bay Packers, these gritty, grinded-out Packers? We'll talk about that with Peter Bukowski coming up right now. Well, the Green Bay Packers have had a couple of gutsy wins during the 2022 season. That did not change in Week 4 as they pull out a 27-24 overtime win over the New England Patriots in Bailey Zappi. And here to talk about that with me today, it's Peter Bukowski, the host of Locked On Packers. And Peter, after that Tampa game, you get the Patriots up in Week 4 and you're thinking, oh, well, it can't be as difficult as that game to grind out. And it became a grinder, an overtime game. I mean, what are your overall thoughts on how this game went and how it progressed over the course, not just 60 minutes, but also overtime? Yeah, I was convinced until the second quarter that Bailey Zappi was the name of a dead ball pitcher. But um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I still am not convinced that's a real person. But um, he, he had to play for the Patriots because they ran out of quarterbacks. And for the Packers, um, th- this was not the way that you wanted to win this game. It's nice that you did right? Three and one in an NFC that looks pretty wide open. Are there any good teams in the NFC? I'm not entirely sure. The Eagles probably after that, eh, TBD. And so uh, I, I think if you're Green Bay, you're just like, we'll, we'll bank the win, you know, uh, two wins by a total of five points the last two weeks. And they come down to plays at the end of games. Um, in the case of Tom Brady, yeah, that you probably felt better about that one um, than uh, and a week later, they get boat raced by the Chiefs. And then you're sort of like, eh, I don't know how good that win was. So defensively it was one of those things where you you wanted to really take this game by you know the the scruff of its neck and you wanted them to dominate and what's funny is i went back and looked at it after the game and i was doing my show for lockdown packers and i was like oh you know the defense plop and then i looked at it they gave up 271 yards the patriots didn't even get to 300 total yards 104 net passing yards yeah they gave up a buck 67 on the ground but they outgained the Patriots um, by 170 yards, by a, a yard and a half per play. Like this game was not really this close. It was an Aaron Rodgers pick six that was late and inside, which is not something Aaron Rodgers ever does. They fumbled the ball. Romeo Dobbs fumbled the ball in his own territory. And he dropped the what would have been the game-winning touchdown. This game was not really this close. They played two games. The Bucks game was not really this close. And the Bears game was not really that close. So they have, they've had some of these like grind them out wins. But those games, if, if you look at like in the aggregate, they weren't really as close as the final score indicated. This is another one of them. You just would rather the score reflect how much you beat a team. And it, and it makes sense. And I know there's been a lot of talk about, again, the, the running back duo of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. But, Peter, we talked about these guys last week. I want to talk about a different duo, and that is the duo rookie wide receivers. Yes. That's Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, both getting in the end zone on Sunday. And, Peter, it's really funny because, obviously, these guys are super talented. But this isn't just a, a this-year thing, obviously. It feels like the Packers are setting them, setting them up for success, not just this year, but for years in the future here. Yeah, and and it is particularly interesting because uh, neither guy has 
first round pedigree. This has been the talking point now for years with Aaron Rodgers. Though they don't take any first round receivers. Like, okay, well, Randall Cobb, second round, Greg Jennings, second round, Devontae Adams, second round, Jordy Nelson, second round, James Jones, third round. Like, if they're good players, they're good players. But here's a stat for you, Kevin. Of all of the fourth round or later receivers in NFL history, the only guy with as many receptions, yards, and touchdowns as Romeo Dobbs has through four games as a rookie, Marcus Colston. In history. So we're talking about an unprecedented start or you know something close to unprecedented, historical level start for a day three pick. And then Christian Watson's still just working his way back. They get him in the end zone on a designed run. He's, in every game he's played in, gotten a, a rush or a push pass. They just want to get him the ball with a chance to do something in space. They have taken shots with him down the field. They, they ran a little jet motion and, and got him up the field on a wheel. Rodgers missed him. He was open. Like, they've had opportunities. Both rookies now have dropped touchdown passes. Unfortunately, week one, Christian Watson drops a 75-yard would-be walk-in. And Romeo Dobbs drops, not drops, does not survive the ground on a play that he made. Um, and it's not a touchdown. I think reasonable people, frankly, can watch that and go, that should probably be a touchdown, but the rules are stupid. And that's just, but that's the rules. It was funny to have Tony Romo in the booth and have Jim Nance bring up the Des catch because it was a very similar play going to the ground and not surviving the ground. And I have for years said Des didn't catch it. Um, and so I can't, on the one hand, say Des didn't catch it and then say Romeo Dobbs caught it. No, by the letter of the law, he didn't. And that it just is what it is. These guys, if that's the difference, they're going to make those plays and, and Rogers and the receivers are going to be on the same page in November and December. And it's just going to change this offense. The fact that we're sitting here in the first week of October and Romeo Dobbs is leading the, the team in targets that Christian Watson, they're scheming up three or four plays every game designed to get him the ball. And then you're getting in a game like today, um, Al Lazard, six catches for a buck 16. He was huge for them. Randall Cobb, it's, it's still, you know, the joke on Packers Twitter is that it's it's third and Cobb because it doesn't really matter if it's anything more than three, if they're probably not going to run the ball, they're going to try and get the ball to Randall Cobb. And he has three catches, um, all of them for first downs and and all of them pretty momentous in, in the course of the game. Big Bob Tunyon ha has the touchdown. So they're, they're able to ham and egg it. And I've been saying this all year, Kevin, and, and going back to the summer, what the Packers need to win is they need to play defense the way that they're capable of. They need to run the ball the way that they're capable of, which, by the way, they did in spades in this game. Aaron Jones continues to be an absolute monster. And then Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson need to make, like, a play a week. Well, they did more than that in this game. And as long as you start or you stop doing the stupid things, like fumbling, in the case of Romeo Dobbs, or throwing pick sixes, which Aaron Rodgers has done one other time at Lambeau Field in his career. These are just outlier events. They're not going to keep happening. I think Packers fans should be really encouraged. This, these are the signs that we're already seeing from these rookie receivers. They're already, in a lot of ways, more productive than, than any other group of rookies that we've seen at that position in the Aaron Rodgers era through four weeks. So this is this is really exciting from that from from really only just that standpoint when you're looking at this game. <laughs> no, it, it makes sense. And Peter, when talking about the defensive side of the ball, you talked about mm -hmm. it a little bit earlier. But this is a Green Bay defense that held the Patriots to three of eleven on third down. I th overall, they had a pretty solid performance in this game, all things considered. Now we're a month in to the 2022 season. Now through four weeks, the Packers have 
added some talent, some some high pedigree rookies in there, but they've also brought back a ton of guys, and they've had so much talent on that defense now. Right. What has it been like over this first month? Is this Packers defense what you thought it would be? It it is, and and you know, Rashawn Gary has been an animal, an absolute monster. He has a sack in every game so far this season. Had two and a half on Sunday against the Patriots. They couldn't block him. And they couldn't block him in the run game. They couldn't block him in the passing game. He's getting help from the Kenny Clarks and Jerron Reeds and, and Preston Smiths. And then we're starting to see the safeties play a little bit better. The Packers lost Adrian Amos early in this game to a concussion. Unfortunately, he says he's okay. But still, uh, unfortunately, the Packers are really thin on this defense. They have really, really good 11 starters. After that, they have a lot of question marks. And so when you have to play Keyshawn Nixon because Jair Alexander is out, you're thin. If you have to play Rudy Ford, who's only been on this team for a month and is, was really signed to play special teams, having to play safety because Adrian Amos is out, that's going to affect your defense. At the same time, it's very similar to last year, Kevin, when they this defense was absolutely lights out against the best quarterbacks. Lights out against Russell Wilson, against Patrick Mahomes, against Kyler Murray, against Joe Burrow, against Matthew Stafford, getting takeaways, getting pressures, really playing lockdown type of defense. And then it was the games that were stupid. It was Baker Mayfield on one shoulder and, and playing this passive game plan where you're playing two deep safeties and you're going to let a team that would be just grateful to run the ball 40 times, just giving them free boxes all game. And it was the, the off coverage against Tyler Huntley and, and the Baltimore Ravens in a game I'm sure you remember when the Ravens had a chance to win it at the end uh, on a two-point conversion, they came back from, from down three scores to almost steal that game. It was these, these, these games where they would lose focus, where you're just going, what is going on here? And I think that's, that's something that's apparently just wired into their DNA. The, the good news is, against the good teams, they play well. They played well last week against Tampa Bay. Um, they they played play-to-play play pretty well against Minnesota week one. They blew two or three coverages when they couldn't afford to do that. We haven't seen them do that in, in the intervening weeks. So, you know, I think it was a good sign that they did not have that happen against Justin Fields. Although I don't, you know, I don't, can a defense play bad enough for Justin Fields to look good? I don't know, TBD. Um, and we'll see moving forward. I think that, you know, they're not going to be tested really for another month. Daniel Jones coming up, um, Zach Wilson coming up, um, and and Carson Wentz coming up before they have Josh Allen. So it's not exactly a murderer's row of quarterbacks. Are they are they going to stick to a lot of these two high principles when it seems like for the Patriots, Billy Zappi like physically incapable of throwing the the ball past like thirty yards, right? So why are you playing this this soft shell coverage? Even though I understand that's who you want to be by identity press these receivers. They can't push the ball down the field. They want to run the ball. You're, you're kind of letting them. And that was the part of it that is frustrating. But again, against these good teams, against the good teams, they've had good plans. They've come out with juice. They've executed well. So I kind of just can't be mad at it at this point, because as long as they play the good teams tough, like that's what matters in January. And for the Packers, ultimately the only thing that matters in any given season is what happens in January and hopefully February. Picking up wins, no matter how they're picked up, is is an important part of that. So, Peter, final question. Is this Packers team that grinded out gritty win team, one score possession games, or are we going to see some blowouts, some more blowouts here over the course of this season? I think in the short term, they're a gritty grinded out team. I think they they have the potential 
to be a team that will just run you off the field, especially defensively because this pass rush, like there just aren't many teams that have the offensive line. They're going to give their quarterback time consistently to throw it against this group, especially when they want to bring pressure, when they want to heat you up a little bit, when they think they need to blitz to win. Um, they, they started blitzing Tom Brady um, and, and it worked in a lot of cases. So I think, you know, Josh Allen, how do they play Josh Allen? How do they play, jo- you know, Jalen Hurts? I want to, these next couple of weeks are going to be telling. These are the games that you need to blow guys out because after this, this stretch, they've got to play the Rams. They've got to play the Dolphins. They've got to play the Vikings. They've got to play the Lions twice. The Lions can score points, like a lot of points. If you're, if you're watching a Lions game, that Lions game is going over whatever the, the, the total is. That has just been their MO all season. So they're going to have to score to win. If they want to blow teams out, this stretch upcoming is the stretch to do it. And then it's just going to be grinding out. Now, if they can blow out some of these good teams, you know, you go to Buffalo and beat them by 10 or 14. That'd be pretty impressive. You beat the Rams at home as they did last year. Um, They dominated that game really from start to finish and let up a little at the end. That game was not really close. You go to Miami and get a, you know, like that, those would be the sort of signature wins that you put on your resume and you go, we are a Super Bowl team. Look at us. They haven't had that one yet, but they also really haven't had the opportunity yet. Right. This Packers team, three and one. They'll have opportunities throughout the rest of the year to prove themselves for sure. Peter, I appreciate your time. For more on the Packers, be sure to check out Peter's work over the Locked On Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Peter, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Green Bay seems to be the favorites in that NFC North to pull out that division. And based off everything that's going on, if they continue to grind out those wins, those gritty wins, they could be a very, very high seed come playoff time with the talent they have on that roster. That's all I have for you here today on Locked On NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in today. When we get back here tomorrow, we're diving into more NFL content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We will see you right back here tomorrow.